You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly podcast where we review the news and dig into other interesting aspects of life in this country we call Sweden. On this week's show, we're going to be chatting about what the rest of the world makes of Sweden's recent election result. And after weeks of non-stop election coverage, we'll lighten the tone a bit to talk about mushroom picking. But the respite will be brief because we want to discuss how the government talks are going, the impact of the Swedish central bank's bombshell interest rate hike. And finally, we'll talk about a controversial feature of Sweden's education system that allows schools to make a profit. I'm Paul O'Mahony and with me to thrash all this out I have James Savage here in Stockholm and we are also delighted to be joined by Le Monde's Scandinavia correspondent Anne-Françoise Hiver who is in the Malmö studio with our regular panellists Richard Orange and Becky Waterton. Hello everybody. Hello. 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 Welcome to Sweden in Focus Anne-Françoise and thank you for joining us. Can I just begin by asking you to tell listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how long you've lived in Sweden and what your work involves? Sure. Uh, so I'm French. I come from a region which is called Brittany, Bretagne, in the west part of France. I moved to Sweden about 20 years ago um, to come and live with the guy who became my husband. Uh, I live in Lund. I have uh, three French-Swedish kids and I've been working as a correspondent for 20 years uh, covering the Nordic countries uh, and uh, since 2016 I took over the correspondence for for Le Monde uh, and I write about everything that has to do with the Nordic countries from economy to sports to politics to society, environment, etc. Excellent. And you covered the recent election for Le Monde. Can I ask you what the reaction was in France to the Sweden Democrats becoming the second largest party and a potential kingmaker in the new government? Yes, I think there was there was shock. Um, that, that was quite obvious on the Monday after the election that the, the Sweden Democrats could actually get 20% and become the second party in Sweden. And not only because um, it's, it's, uh, it's this party, but it's the party which has a special history when you compare it to, to other parties right-wing, radical right-wing parties, populist parties in in Europe, uh, if you compare to the D- Danish People's Party or the Fremskrittspartiet in Norway, etc. That's not the same party. So I think that was 
quite a shock in France. Uh, then there is quite a lot of misunderstanding, I would say, about the uh, future of the negotiation. Uh, there is still um, thoughts in France that the right wing, the traditional right wing, moderate uh, Christian Democrats and liberals could actually um, build a coalition without them and uh, not understanding that there is actually an agreement before the election that they would um, collaborate together. Yeah, and I guess that's a mathematical question as well, isn't it? They couldn't really do that just because they wouldn't have the support in Parliament without them. Yes, and I think that uh, the well, the misunderstanding is more that the, the fact that they would have a choice that they have always before decided not to work with the uh, extreme right in Sweden. And that's a choice that um, they stopped making or they made another choice since 2018, uh, realizing that they would never come back to power if they are not collaborating with the SD. Um, they could actually, if they wanted to collaborate with the uh, Centre Parti or Social Democrat, etc. Uh, when we live in Sweden, we know it's not going to happen, that they want to try something else. They have been clear about that. They have already published different uh, programs together when it comes to immigration, to criminality, to uh, retirement, etc. Even so, their budget last year as well. That yes. Was very clear, yeah. kind of two teams... Two teams appearing. Which is a bit strange, I think, because in the on the European stage, um, Johan Parson, the leader of the Liberals, is trying to tell his friends uh, inside his group that uh, it's actually the other parties who made the decision to work with uh, the, the Sweden's Democrats. So that he doesn't really have a choice, which which is not true. Yeah, he I has mean, a choice. If mm. he went over to the left bloc, then they would have won. Like, he has that choice. Yeah. He, is <laughs> literally, he is literally the person who can change everything. It was interesting a few days ago that the Liberal group in the European Parliament actually took the Swedish Liberals to task for their plans to collaborate with the Sweden Democrats. I mean, what do we know about that, James? We know that there was a, there was a group meeting of, of ALDE in the uh, European Parliament. Sweden's, or, or the Swedish Liberal um, MEP, uh, Karin Karlsbro, got quite a lot of, um, came in for quite a lot of criticism. Now, she wasn't, she wasn't in favour of this alliance with the, with the Sweden Democrats and, and the moderates, but she, but she nonetheless was, you know, bore the brunt of a lot of the criticism in the European Parliament from the other members of, of her sort of broader European party. And, you know, this, is, this has been, this is really difficult because a lot of other parties in the Liberal group in Renew see them see the the radical right the far right as their main adversary whereas the liberals in sweden have effectively chosen to see the social democrats as their main adversary which is you know goes back to sort of a long 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 history of, of sort of taking that position with only a sort of a, a small window in the last few years where they sort of chose to ally themselves with the social democrats and you know but they've gone back to their their traditional position, which is, you know, our main our main adversaries are the Social Democrats. We want to see um, centre right, um, a centre right government, and um, in order to do that, we need to ally with the Sweden Democrats. It's a very difficult thing for them to explain to these liberal parties in other parts of Europe. I think. I think uh, just one thing also that it happens exactly uh, the day after, two days after there was a voting in the Parliament where actually the Swedish, the Sweden's Democrats. Uh, voted against the proposal to to uh, label um, Hungary as a non-democratic country. And I think that mm. also um, showed what could come in the future, that uh, they are not voting like the Liberals, they are not a party like the others in this collaboration. Yeah, and I think what's interesting with the Sweden Democrats in the European Parliament is they've often voted pro-Russian as well. In you know, whereas in Sweden they've tried to distance themselves a lot from from Russia. In the European Parliament, their group, including them, have often voted in a way that's been perceived as sort of as as, as pro-Russian, which is 
you know, different. Have Swedes been surprised by the coverage abroad, which has focused so much on a Swedish government being reliant on a party with roots in the neo-Nazi movement? I think this kind of goes back to that old joke of like the first time a Swede meets a foreigner, the first thing they say is, oh, I wonder what they think of Sweden. Like there has, I've seen a lot of stories about like, this is what the the rest of Europe is saying about Sweden. Actually quoting some of your articles, Anne-Francoise, like there's been a lot of things like Le Monde is saying this and Der Spiegel is saying that. And I, I don't know if they're surprised or if it's just kind of curiosity at, at what kind of what the rest of the world is saying. I think a lot of countries, a lot of people in other countries that have a different, have a less proportional electoral systems find it quite hard to compute proportional electoral systems like the Swedish one. So, you know, that, that goes for Brits, Americans, and I think maybe French people as well. And, and, and trying to understand the, you know, the, the need for parties to compromise and the need for parties to work together is, is I think, you know, it's a, it is a very different political system to the one you get in a more majoritarian system where these tensions are worked out within very broad parties often like you know the republicans or the conservatives and i had uh, some problems to explain also the fact that even if they don't get into government it doesn't mean that they're not going to have influence which is a belief that i've seen i've had colleagues uh, saying that well are they going to be in government? No, probably not. Uh, he's not going to be prime minister. No, probably not. Oh, that's for sure, actually. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean that nothing, I mean, everything is as usual. You're going to have a, a government which is has 30% of the vote in the parliament, which is going to be dependent on a party that has 20% of the vote, yeah. which is obviously going to require a lot, who is going to be in the position to blackmail the other, more or less, yeah. every time a budget or some big decision is going to be voted in parliament. And we've seen what has happened in other countries. I think about Denmark, for example, when uh, Danish People's Party, where they uh, support party of the right wing for like 10 years between 2001 and 2011 and again after and there has been major change in in the policy uh, immigration policy but also in the way you talk about foreigners um, the old conception the fact that now the social democrats agree with everything that the danish people's party is saying so it's and that i think is is quite hard to understand sometimes also abroad and there is a lot of um, 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 people waiting for to see what's going to happen with the uh, government talks and what's going to come out of it. I mean, they've already said, I mean, this is kind of Aftonblad, it's uh, one of the tabloids in Sweden has already said that their sources are saying that the four parties have already agreed on tightening up migration policy. Yes. And I mean, we've been looking at what, how do they all feel about permanent residency permits and citizenship? I mean, you can see they all kind of agree. The moderates have moved closer towards the Sweden Democrats already. All of the parties have, arguably. That's why uh, we, saw, we saw that during the election campaign. And I think even if the Sweden Democrats aren't in power, just the fact that people have moved closer to their politics. Because that's what happened, actually. It's not when you ask uh, political scientists or people who have been following the extreme right since 20, 30 years, it's not SD which has changed it's the others who have changed. The line is the same. The proposal is the same. You still have the same scandals. Of course, it's not the same party as in 1988, but there is a continuity. It's the same ideas. There is still the idea which is now formulated more clear about um, the big replacement that uh, you have to fight uh, uh, Muslims coming to Sweden, that you have to now. They are talking about returning people, which they had stopped doing a couple of years ago when they were trying to get into a good terms with the right wing. Now they're there. 
using this kind of word, wordings. The uh, number two in the party has said that they have become more radical. He acknowledged it himself. And any political scientist you talk to will say that it's it's really not them. It's the others, the, the three other parties, and even the social democrat have changed also. Yeah, I mean, we saw that when Annie Love stepped down. She was like, I'm the only one that's that's not moved. Everyone else has moved around me and I'm standing here and you've all kind of... I've not changed, you have, in a way, which I think yeah. was very telling. We're going to take a break now from politics to go fungal for a while. And I know from watching my own in-laws that Swedes love hunting for mushrooms once autumn comes round. And sometimes I've even joined them and maybe even enjoyed it a bit. Just how popular is mushroom picking in Sweden, Richard? I'd say it's it's close to universal. I'd say not everyone, but everyone I know in Sweden does at least do it once or twice a year. I don't know. I don't know about you. I mean, I... No, well, at least in my, in my wife's family, everybody, they all do it. And what, what my wife always says is that in, in England, it's always seen as, you know, foraging, like a kind of new trend. You know, the Guardian always goes on about, you know, foraging for mushrooms in different forests. And, and she says, well, for us, it's not it's not like foraging. It's not a trend. It's just something you do. It's completely unremarkable. You just you just go out and, you know, when it's when it's the, the time to pick mushrooms, you, you, you will go out and go, come back with a basket full of chanterelles and um yeah so I, i'd say it's i'd say it's pretty popular there's huge facebook groups with tens if not hundreds of thousands of members but in sweden it's it's you know compared to other parts of europe which are much more densely populated sweden relatively sparsely populated lots and lots of forests i mean the chances of you having a mushroom picking spot very close to where you live is is quite large and it's not it doesn't require that much organisation or effort to go out and do it, which is one of the lovely things about it, I think. Richard, I've got kind of a sensitive question for you. Um, are you are you a basket thief? <laughs> am, am, am I a basket thief? I am. I am. I am. No, yeah. <laughs> he was called out on Twitter. I've been called out on Twitter because I posted a picture of uh, the one solitary mushroom that I managed to pick when I went out yesterday, and uh, which was a beautiful, huge uh, cauliflower fung- cauliflower fungus, I think it's called, which is a, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. It was it an amazing like a, mushroom. Yeah. It's an amazing mushroom. And, um, and I, I, I tweeted it out, and one of my friends in Malmo said... Um, nice basket you've got there <laughs> or something on Twitter because, uh, <laughs> it, and it's a, a her basket it turns out <laughs> which, um, will you be, which re- we, which will you be we, reuniting it with its rightful owner I, th- I think I'll have to give it back now I don't think, I don't think uh, <laughs> uh, it's not me who nicked it actually it's, it's my wife but, um, yeah 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 that's what they all say Richard and uh, you mm. you found this you found this amazing mushroom yesterday this cauliflower mushroom which was absolutely huge what are you, what are your top tips when you go out picking I think the thing that I did wrong when we first went out is I would sort of go out with a book of a mushroom book of all the mushrooms that you can get and as soon as I saw a mushroom I'd pick it and try and identify it and find out if you can eat it which is completely the wrong way to do it the thing to do is to learn what a chanterelle or canterelle looks like and learn what a kalyahan swamp or a uh, sop or uh, sap looks like and just go out looking for that and and um, I suppose another top tip is not to go out too early I think the thing I used to do when I first came here is to as soon as you know it was autumn I'd be straight out in the forests and I'd go around for an hour and find absolutely nothing and and then give up for the rest of the year and the, and the secret is it's kind of worth waiting until until there's quite a lot out there otherwise you will just get bored and give up when I went out yesterday down here it was um 
you could tell just walking through the wood that it's too early because there's still kind of long grass from the summer. You want it to be kind of like damp moss under your feet, I think, to really be finding a lot of mushrooms. And yeah, so 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 it's it's probably it's probably about the right time up where you guys are in Stockholm, but it's a bit early in school now. Great. I think will you be out picking James very soon? I went I was I was out last weekend. It was wonderful. I got loads of chanterelles and it was it was fantastic. Just next to where I got my um summer house. It was just little, just going to the little, into the little forest and start picking. It was gorgeous. Well, wasn't it nice to talk about something other than politics for a few minutes? <laughs> but we're going to get back to it now because uh, the Speaker of Parliament has tasked the moderate party leader Ulf Christensen with forming a new government. How is that going? Is Ulf Christensen making any progress, James? Well, yeah. I mean, the first bit of progress was getting tasked by the Speaker with forming a government, and that was pretty. It was pretty inevitable that he was going to um, going to do that. But now that is done, according to. Um, uh, according to Afton Bladet uh, yesterday, I think um, I think Becky um, was referring to that article earlier. They seem to have got some good sources there, and so according to them, the negotiations are well underway. That they're making progress on issues like immigration and um, tougher sentencing rules for criminals as well. Negotiations are being done apparently by uh, sort of fairly unknown um, officials in the party's um, headquarters. It's not being done directly at leader level. It's being done at a lower level. Um, But they've been preparing for many, many months and years for this. And they've done a lot of the groundwork. So I think they know a lot of the areas where they might be able to form you know, some sort of agreement. But but the thing is, forming a government, and this this is the difficult bit, forming a government means, first of all, getting agreement on the things that you you know, on the, on the big issues. But then you've got to form agreement on all sorts of smaller issues as well. And then as a party, you've got to sell those in, sell those agreements into your MPs. And these, and any agreement formed is going to be, need to be sold into everyone from all the Liberals MPs, some of whom are not particularly happy with the direction the party has taken. And the Sweden Democrat MPs who, you know, are not very happy with, well, don't really like the Liberals very much. So, you know, that compromise is going to be made at official level, but then it's going to have to be sold in at other levels in, in the different parties. But so far, it seems that it's going it's going according to plan. The big test is going to be on um, Monday, the first big test at least, when they need to vote on a new speaker. And so we'll see if they can manage to agree on a candidate and crucially see if they can manage to get their MPs to all vote in the right way, according to party lines, on the new candidate. Yeah, let's let's bring Becky in there. You mentioned that the, the parliamentary speaker has a key role in selecting prime ministerial candidates. And four years ago, Andreas Norlean became a household name as he served sort of endless plates of biscuits to Sweden's party leaders in the 134 days it took to form a government after the 2018 election. Will Andreas Norlean continue as speaker? Um, probably not. There's no specific rules for which party should should be the party who is who is supplying the speaker. The way that the Social Democrats do it is that it's the biggest party in in the the Riksdag, the Parliament, and the way that the Moderates have traditionally done it is it's the biggest party in their bloc, which until now has always been them. So. <laughs> The Sweden Democrats have been saying, oh, well, you always give it to the biggest party in your block. That's us. Why don't we have the speaker? And the moderates have been not particularly happy about doing that. I've seen a bit of, of pushback against the idea of, of the Sweden Democrats supplying the speaker because it would then be Björn Söder, who was, um, or potentially be Björn Söder, has been, who's made some controversial comments saying that he said that Jewish people and Sami people aren't Swedes. So there was a lot of people saying, well, 
Hello, Roya. Um, so there's a lot of people saying, um, well, if you if you are saying that these two groups aren't Swedes, how can you be the speaker who is representing all of Swedes? Yeah. It's not really clear. So he maybe they'll negotiate that the moderates will supply the speaker and then I assume Andreas Nolén would stay on or maybe the Sweden Democrats have negotiated that they'll have the speaker. Maybe it would be Björn Söder, maybe it was someone else in the Sweden Democrats. It's kind of not very clear. And there is a, a, a special rule, which is that you are voting. Uh, it's a secret voting, yeah, exactly. which means also that even if a decision is made, there is not absolutely 100% certainty that all the Liberals, if... They have made an agreement because apparently Afton Bladet was saying that it might they might have managed to 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 make an agreement if the name is actually Björn Söder. It's not really sure that all the Liberals will actually vote for him, yeah. and we would not know who voted against or for. So it's going to be very hard to guarantee that the person they decide on is actually going to be elected yeah. on Monday. You can vote against party lines and no one knows that you voted against party lines. It's actually kind of exciting. <laughs> there is actually a petition yeah. online as well against uh, Beyond Söder. I don't know if you've seen yeah, it. In the yes, yeah. Yeah. Yesterday they had like 60,000 people who had signed it. I assume it's more today. And, and you know, as, as well as the as well as well the Liberals, you could you could envisage, uh, you know, it would only, and it would only need one or two moderates or even Christian Democrats voting in a secret ballot against Björn Söder as, as speaker. I mean, it's not, it's, not, it's not inconceivable. It sounded to me from listening to, to Richard's dog that Richard, Richard's dog is in favour of Andres Nolien continuing. <laughs> yes. As soon as you mention Björn Söder. Exactly. <laughs> I've seen some calls to, to actually vote for someone else as well, to have like a centre party, someone that would be judged more neutral somehow. Yeah. So... We'll see. And, and and is it interesting? I don't know how seriously to take the Afton Bloodit article because I think in this there's such a. I know journalists are going to come out with something they know will just fly, and it's and what they've said is uh, very. You know, we've agreed to have stricter sentences. They didn't have any specifics really. Yeah, it's uh, kind of generic. No, it's very yeah. generic. I think I think take it with a pinch of salt. But they they in, in that article, they said that the speaker position is a key part of the negotiations. It's a it and it's seen as part of. The, the entirety of the negotiations, so which I would indicate means that the Sweden Democrats want that as a sort of as a I don't know part payment, especially if they don't have any minister jobs, which yeah. they are still insisting on. Yeah, so yeah. I think Precisely. it would. I think we there's quite a high chance that we're going to see a Sweden Democrat, at least Sweden Democrats agreeing on a speaker. I don't know if they're actually going to be voted in, but I think they're going to be lobbying for that. And they want a big win, a symbolic win. They need a symbolic win because if they don't, they're probably not going to enter the government. Uh, none of the other parties. I mean, they are the liberal. They are enough liberals saying that they won't vote for a government where there is SD uh, ministers. So if they don't have that, they really need a big symbolic win. And it can't be just the immigration yeah. and criminal policy because I think that, that they already... I, I'm not sure it's actually so hard for them to agree on this. Mm -hmm. They already have made proposals together and what Afton Bladet is picking up is a proposal that they were already on in this um, the, the measure they're mentioning, they were already in the proposal that they have. They were campaigning uh, yes. on those yeah. issues. Yes. Yeah. It's not, so it's, yeah. it's yeah. Nothing, nothing new. All of it was already decided before so it doesn't seem to be the point where there is going to be so much friction. I think it's in the other issue that they're going to have to to agree. And it's worth pointing out that Björn Söder, this controversial Sweden Democrat, has already been the deputy speaker. So in the first term of the Social Democrat government, he was the deputy speaker and, you know, was controversial, but but appeared to have sort of have quite a taste for the position and to enjoy the ceremony. And uh, so 
it, it's not a, a massive step to have a Sweden Democrat speaker. The choice of Björn Söder, I've heard from people following the party, is actually quite interesting because Björn Söder and Jimmy Okerson are not on good terms anymore. Uh, he didn't invite Björn Söder on the stage the evening of the campaign when he, of the election when he invited all of the closest collaborators, including the two others from, from the beginning there, uh, Yomsov. Ah, so it might uh, be trying to get rid of him. Yes, and it's a way, it's been quite, he's very political uh, and not always saying what the party line is and uh, been considered a bit extremist sometimes by the others. So if he get that job, then he will be limited in what he can say because he's, as a tall man, you are quite neutral yeah. even if you and have... You can't be a member of parliament either no. anymore, can no. you? Yeah. So it's also a way to somehow get rid of him. But I think the risk is, like Becky says, the risk is actually if, you, if you're worried about you know, the threat to Swedish democracy from the Sweden Democrats getting influence, the risk of having a Sweden Democrat speaker is quite large. He could theoretically propose three random people that don't have a majority and then trigger a new election. That's true. Yeah, the, posi- the, 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 power to, the power to cause chaos, absolutely. And, you know, that's chaos is, you know, sometimes used by populist parties um, to their advantage. Just one thing I think that uh, that has been mentioned but hasn't gotten that much attention is that there is a lot of discussion about actually if they don't get into government. And yes, there is this post in, in the parliament as a tall man. And there are other posts and other functions in the parliament. But there is also um, requirement from SD to have people actually being hired in the ministry's um, SD uh, people. Like Shanstermen. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's something else, because I think that what we've seen in in uh, in the US, for example, during Trump's time, that uh, you had people, a lot of people changing nominations made by Trump, which actually changed quite for some long time how agencies and, and uh, ministries work. And I think that's something where they can actually get a lot of influence in the future. So I think that we should actually be looking at that, too. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to follow. Uh, if we go back to Andreas uh, Nolén, he became sort of synonymous with his small biscuits four years ago, but he's not he's not serving them this time, Becky, is he? No, he is. Uh, he is following his tradition of being Sveriges trevligaste man, the nicest man in Sweden, by serving um, chocolate and his own homegrown tomatoes to uh, to to Ulf Christensen and to all the other party <laughs> leaders. But this is maybe a little bit off topic. What I don't understand, he was serving like big kind of beef tomatoes but like does he expect people to eat them like an apple like there was no like knife and a little chopping board and stuff like how does he expect <laughs> I, I get a cherry tomato like munching like is he expecting Ulf to like take a big tomato and take a bite out of it like an apple because that sorry this is I just saw this picture and that's the first thing I thought anyway no it's very on brand for Andreas Norlian I will definitely miss him because he is great and I'm allowed to say that because he's not political, so uh, that's not part of that. <laughs> no, and ev- and everybody likes him. He is kind of a, u- a unifying force in Sweden. He, he's politics. a good a- good advert for a um, ceremonial president, actually. I think you know you can think. Yeah. Imagine having him yeah. instead of a king. Yeah, me and Richard were saying he should be king. He should be king. I also quite like the Swedish king. So. He has his own uh, TV show as well. Yeah, Herr Talman. Yeah, we'll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have to get a new puppet if Björn Söder takes over. He's also an arch monarchist, so um, I don't think he'd like. <laughs> yeah, he probably wouldn't like to be king. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, you know, I think if there's one thing, if there's one thing that might save him, is he is, is that it's that he is well, it's that he's so popular among among people in general. But also, he's he is very conservative. 
which probably goes damn well among some Sweden Democrat voters as well. So, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be a terribly unpopular thing for the Sweden Democrats to allow him to stay. It might not be terribly unpopular with their own voters, at least. And we'll be back after this short break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, we're back. Uh, So on Tuesday, Sweden's central bank, the Riksbank, announced its biggest interest rate hike in 30 years. Can you explain, Richard, why the Riksbank deemed it necessary to raise interest rates by a full percentage point? The main reason is simply the August inflation figure, which came in at at 9%. And it, it had dipped in July and everyone has thought, oh, maybe inflation is starting to get under control. Maybe some of the earlier hikes have started to have an impact. And then it bounced back with this again, like the highest inflation rate in 30 years. I think it's the highest since 1991. So it, it justified making taking tougher action. And in, in the press conference, Stefan Ingvers, the governor of the bank, he was saying that he, he, he kind of did a mea culpa. He said, a lot of our prog- prognoses have turned out to be wrong. And th- the only thing we can do is apologise for that. And he argued that if they don't act with a little bit more power now, it means that you know inflation expectations could take hold and it will start becoming part of salary negotiations. And then you'll need even higher rates to tame inflation in like two or three years' time. So he, he, he was, it's better to act more forcefully earlier than to leave it too late and, and let, let the genie out of the bottle, so to speak. But it's not just that. If you look at what other central banks are doing, that central banks are always kind of looking at, at over their shoulders at, 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 at their counterparts in other countries, is, is that they've taken even more action. So if you look at the Fed, you know, just after um, Sweden's decision, the Fed came out with an even you know, even more aggressive uh, rate hike, I think, to three and a bit percent or between three and three and a half percent. And I mean, that's not in one go. That's the that's the, the, the core rate itself. And and, and Stefan Ingves, he, he showed a chart in the press release showing where the Riksbank is compared to other central banks. And, you know, in typical Swedish, Swedish style, it's somewhere in the middle. It's kind of a log on uh, reaction. Uh, and, you know, and the other, he was asked, as there always does, is a lot of people when inflation started to go up just said it's just energy prices, it's external. There's nothing, there's no kind of endemic inflation. And he sort of quite falsely said, no, you know, even if you strip out energy, even if you strip out other goods that are dependent on energy, inflation is still going up across the board. It, it's not purely because of the war in Ukraine or gas prices. It goes beyond that. And so we need to act more aggressively. And he was asked if he thought it might be, it might lead to an economic downturn. And he said that it will definitely have an impact on growth and it might even have a short sort of 
negative period of negative growth next year. And what are the main sort of ramifications of the rate hike for anyone living in Sweden? Um, well, yeah, mortgages. It's gonna it's gonna put your mortgage payments up. So it's you're gonna have to be paying more per month. I mean, it also depends how much the banks are gonna increase by. But if we assume the banks increase by the same amount, then depending on the size of your mortgage, you could be looking at a couple of thousand kroner more a month, which is uh, especially if you're thinking if your if your energy prices are gonna be going up as well. That's a significant difference really and then i guess hopefully it's gonna it, the, the idea is that it's going to st- slow down inflation so hopefully in the long run we'll see kind of a slowdown to the increases in in food prices and everything that we've been seeing at the moment but the, the main impact i think people are going to see is if you have any kind of loan that you're paying interest off on then that interest payment is going to be higher unless you've managed to fix your rates before yeah unless you've got fixed in rates. which case congratulations <laughs> <laughs> yes and you're probably going to see a a downturn on the housing market. Yeah, as yeah, well. yeah. I am still trying to sell my apartment after a month, so I'm slightly worried about this. It's going to make people Not even... this time. No. <laughs> Sweden in Focus is free to listen to, but is made possible by readers becoming members of The Local Sweden. If you're not yet a member, you can support us by heading to thelocal.se and subscribing with the reduced rate for podcast listeners at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer. And finally for today, we're going to discuss a controversial quirk of Sweden's education system that allows private companies to own and operate schools and pay dividends on the profits to their shareholders. Now, obviously, school choice is an issue that affects a lot of listeners, so we thought we'd dig into it a little bit. And this is just one aspect of the education system, but it's worth exploring because it is quite unique to Sweden. What's the history of this, James? Why did Sweden decide to allow for-profit schools? What's the kind of rationale behind it? Well, it came about in 1992, um, uh, thanks to the Carl Bildt government, it's sort of a centre-right government. Um, the ultimate purpose was to increase choice variation and to encourage cost-effectiveness in the school sector. Um, obviously, there is there is an ideological element Um in this as well, in, in allowing companies to make, um, in allowing those who are running schools to make profits. If you, you know, you know, the moderate started from a position of saying, well, there's nothing wrong with making profits. We are in favour of making profits. We are pro-business. But it was also, you know, from an education perspective, the idea was to allow people to find schools that were different from their local uh, commonal council school, to you know, to escape a bad council school to encourage schools to compete and then, and then get you know get better and raise standards across the board better serve parents requirements also give opportunities for schools with a religious focus or particular sort of teaching philosophies and this this reform now is is around 30 years old so it's quite it's it's very well established and in some respects has been copied around the world but with a big difference that nobody else has copied this idea of allowing schools to make Profits, allowing these school companies to be profit-seeking. In most other countries, they are foundations on other kinds of non-profits. But in Sweden, they decided that um, that that that, a, that profit-making schools was 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 just going to encourage more of these free free schools to start. Yeah. So I guess, like as you say, it's been around for thirty years now, which means that we can make an assessment as to whether it actually works. And can I ask you that, Anne Francoise? Does this system work? 
Well, that would depend on who you ask, I, I would say. I think that uh, it's worth noting as well that there is a big difference with Sweden and the rest of the world, and that's the, the profit part. But another aspect of it is that it's 100% publicly funded, and it's funded uh, according to a model that is also unique in the world, which uh, was an idea for, uh, from Milton Friedman, a very neoliberal economist, which is uh, this uh, education check, this uh, school Uh, that the commune gives to the school, uh, no matter if they are private or public, um, depending on how many students they have, it's it's a, a, a certain amount that follows the students, and which means that the the only way for the schools to get money is to attract the more students you can and to reduce your cost, then you can make profit, and that's also very something that is very discussed today. The debate has focused on the profit part. But you have a lot of people now talking about that maybe the idea would be to actually reform the system of school penger, which means that communal schools have much more um, works and, and uh, functions, etc., much more cost, but they are getting the same amount of money as private schools. So and maybe we should. as well. Exactly, yeah. because they have to have room for students when they move to the city. They have to have uh, a flexible amount of, of, um, of seats in the class, etc. They need also to. Of, of, often to take uh, kids which have more difficulties. There is a queue system which is making also the pri that the private school can actually have some kind of selection system in place. They do it. Um, they are not allowed to do it, but they, we don't know what they are doing because it's uh, considered as a secret. It's a, a company secret, so we don't know how they are dealing with the, the, the line. And e even if they are not doing the selection themselves, the fact that the parents... Some parents are actually putting the kids in line when they're born is a natural selection, I would say, because, of course, the parents which who are concerned with the future of the kids, uh, if you are putting your kids in the line. Or the parents who are in Sweden. Exactly. Like if you move exactly. to Sweden and you've got a four-year-old and yes. you want to start school, you're already four years behind everyone else. Yes. So it's um, so to answer your question, does it work? Uh, there is a, a huge amount of criticism coming from Sweden, coming from outside of Sweden. There is the reports from the OECD, PISA report, not only on the result, but also making more detailed investigation saying that it's been contributing to the uh, segregation of schools of a lot of different uh, differences between the, the private and the communal school. There is a report from the Riksrevijun, uh, which is an um, agency, national agency, uh, that is controlling how the public finance are used from June that say that uh, it's uh, this uh, school uh, the, the education check system doesn't work and it has to be reformed and that it should be have a different uh, financing for the communal and from the for the private uh, private schools but as you said it's been 30 years and there is uh, 400,000 kids going to the private school and uh, you have companies uh, making a lot of money and uh, saying that if you make some reforms that is going to hurt us then we're going to close down and then you have 400,000 kids without school so it's pretty powerful argument to not do anything and i don't think that a lot is going to happen because you have three uh, right wing parties and the Sweden Democrat now that are again a reform of the profit in, in, the, in the school system. You notice that the that this free school lobby is very, very strong. And I've always been quite surprised. They have a lot of how... money. <laughs> They've all earned a lot of money running free schools. Like that's why they're strong. Well well yes, but but what I but what I was going to say is is I'm always very surprised how some of these big lobbying 
organizations, you know, uh, Svensson Owens Leave, Confederation of Swedish Industry, Almirga, um, a lot of them spent an awful lot of time and focus on defending the free school concept. And I think, you know, it's become a major priority for the industry lobby as a whole. And because I think there's so much money sloshing around. If you want to take it up a level, it's the disadvantage, you know, in the 1990s when you brought the market into the public uh, welfare system, you thought, well, it'll make it more efficient. Look at businesses, they're more efficient. And that's probably true. But but I think what people didn't anticipate was the extent to which you set up an incentive for private companies to corrupt the system, to, to, to kind of co-opt municipal and central government officials and and then sort of gouge the welfare system for profit <laughs> and how hard it is to put in place regulations to stop that happen because the people who are going to put in the regulation are the people who are being offered these these um, nice chairmanships when they retire. And when you bring the market into the public sector, it's very hard to keep everyone honest, I think. And you have a lot of politicians. That's, that's really crazy that it's so uh, not discussed or not that much discussed in Sweden because we are have the image of ourselves as being one of the less corrupted country in the world. And it's not corruption, but it's really close to, there is no quarantine time between, quarantine time between the fact that you're a civil servant or you're a politician in a high job and going to the private. And you will have politicians who have been dealing with these questions in the school, in the elderly care, in the health, selling um, different municipal uh, activities to private companies when they were in the municipal leadership. And then going to the private sector a couple of days after they have stopped being politicians and they're going to work for this company. So that's, and there are a lot of them, a lot of former ministers uh, working for, for these uh, private school companies. You have a, a politician, the, the president of the Friskolosriksverbund is a former moderate. You have a lot of moderate, but you also have a lot of social democrats. Free school and Riksförbund, that's the association of free schools. And that's why if you poll people in Sweden, yeah. a, a, a vast majority of voters are against allowing schools to make and profits and the system and teachers and even in, even voters on the right, yeah. even moderate voters, even centre party voters are opposed to this. And yet their parties <laughs> do not do not reflect what their voters think. And that indicates that something is wrong if they're if they're if they're not re- if they're not representing their voters who are they representing yeah. and just to illustrate why this is a concern i think you know richard did uh, some a really good um investigation into one chain of free schools earlier this year so the the international engelska school land he spoke to a lot of teachers who were working at these schools and what, what became clear is that you know they were saving money by paying teachers who they brought in from other countries lower salaries than um, many of their Swedish counterparts were being paid. And that led to quite a lot of staff turnover, but also it, it allowed this company to increase its, increase its margins, which then you know, were siphoned away from the school system and, and then you know, kept by the company. And the, the, question, the, the question then is, is this, is, this, is this how taxpayers want their tax money to be spent? Is this the most efficient way of providing children with a good education? Does it provide children with a better education? It's, um, it's, it's, it raises a lot of questions, I think. Because I think isn't, isn't the reason that they get school paying was because 
they didn't want people to have to pay for for free schools. They wanted it's the it. social democrats actually yeah. making this decision after Karl Bildt's government. At the time of Karl Bildt's government, the, the private school were getting 85% of the amount of money that the public school were getting. And when the social democrats came back to power, they decided that it should be 100% because then it should be a free choice. The Wahlfreiheit uh, should be for everyone and not just for the rich who were able to pay the difference. Chile a few years ago, which was pretty much the poster child for this sort of Milton Friedman influenced um, voucher system, um, it, 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 it reversed a very similar system to Sweden. And it was, I think, pretty much the only country in the world that allowed, apart from Sweden, that allowed companies to make profits and take them out. And they reversed it. And I don't know how, how, how well it's gone, but they did it. So people who say, oh, there's 400,000 pupils, it can't be done. It can be done. It has been done in, in, in Chile. So, But it's a bit striking. I think that the Swedes, often when you talk with Swedes journalists or others, uh, are not really aware that the Swedish system is absolutely unique and that it's actually seen from the outside as something that is crazy, uh, totally extreme and doesn't work. And I think they're starting to discover that the left-wing uh, candidate in the election, Dago Star, said that in a, in a debate, that we are the only one in the world who are doing it. Why? It, that's the proof that it doesn't work. Otherwise, the others would do that. And that, I think, could actually make Swedes start to to, to to move on that question because you were talking about the image of Sweden before and I think that's also something they wouldn't stand that yeah. the image of Sweden, the image of the school system being not working and, and be, being going very wrong. I think that we've seen also in the campaign that some parties, the Centre Party and the Liberals have started to, to make a really small step towards reforming the system that you should not allow the profit for the five first years of the school being built, for example. That's what the Liberals wanted. The Centre Party wants to have more control in the schools and limit the profit for the yeah. schools, which doesn't work. So and you some see of them something. also want to reform the queue system, at least. Yeah. So sh it should be more transparent. There should be, you shouldn't be able to put someone in a queue from birth, that kind of thing. So there are definitely movements towards changing it, not quite getting rid of it completely, but changing it slightly, which I guess is, like you said, it's a starting on the path. If you start reforming even on the margin, then it might actually hurt the companies. And then you will see very quickly, you might see very quickly some action from the companies not being so interested in being in Sweden as much as they have been before. So we'll see what happens, but it doesn't necessarily need huge reforms to have a change in the situation. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening and make sure to check out the links in the show notes if you want to read up more on some of the topics we've covered. A big thank you to Anne-Francoise Hiver for joining us. Our regular panellists this week were Becky Waterton, Richard Orange and James Savage. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again with another episode of Sweden in Focus next Saturday. Until then, take care. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards, 
The publisher is James Savage.